Hi, welcome to the Murphy Corp podcast. Rachel discusses business change this week with Andrew Greenaway, a partner at Public Digital. Uh, this guy is an author and his book Bluffocracy with James Ball and Digital Transformation at Scale. Now, this guy loves to write about reforming government and that's the vibe we really get in this podcast. So enjoy. Andrew, what does um, what does business change mean to you? Uh, well, that's uh, that's a good opener. So, business change to me, I think um, it means really sort of seeing uh, show the thing is a phrase that I think you'll have heard a lot in and around digital government, and in fact, digital transformation more broadly. Uh, and what sort of strikes me around business change programs um, that I've come across, both in governments and private sector organisations as well. Um, it's an organisation full of people that are completely exhausted at hearing the word change. They've been told that change is coming for decades, if not if not longer, um, and they've yet to really see any kind of tangible evidence of that, be that something that affects the front line or their users, but also something that affects their kind of day-to-day ways of working and how their jobs and, and kind of everyday feels to them. So I guess for me, business change is, is very much being able to uh, see, feel, or touch something that's quite tangible, particularly in terms of service delivery. Um, and that, that front-end change um, is mirrored by changes to the back-end. Um, now, the back-end, in my mind, isn't just tech. You know, there's clearly a, a large element of that. There's the infrastructure and the kind of considerations about data and all that kind of stuff, which has to happen because you're often sitting on legacy and mess. But almost more importantly, it's the underlying culture, the underlying processes, the underlying feel and rhythm of an organisation. And it means having the difficult questions about how an institution is set up um, and how it's worked, um, which are often not had um, and are kind of almost hidden by your sort of traditional change programmes that have a lot of workshops and maybe buy some shiny tech. But... Mm -hmm confront the difficult stuff that organizations now need to confront it's funny isn't it because um we we have a we have a remarkably similar view of what business change is um and and i i've often asked myself whether that view comes out of working uh within the public sector um or you know is is that a rounded view that spans public and private what would your view be yeah i think a lot of it a lot of it does come from a government perspective, but I mean, I, I consider myself quite lucky in that I, um, I only ended up in government sort of by accident and partly by resistance. Both of my parents were public sector workers for their whole lives. My mum was a midwife, dad was a teacher. So I made a promise to myself in my early 20s that I wouldn't go and work in the public sector. So I started in management consultancy and worked for a large consultancy um, and saw that the private sector was not only just as dysfunctional in lots of ways, um, but it had had some quite different struggles too. But then coming into government um, and to your your kind of that point around change programs, I think it was really valuable for me to to have seen from the outside how those change programs are pitched, how they're sold, and how quite often um, they're sort of sold as a bit of a panacea, a bit of a cure-all to, to public sector organisations um, by consultancies and the like. Um, 
and they don't really touch the sides. Um, they don't really kind of um, get into the kind of the guts of, of how those organisations need to change. So um, the other thing I think as well, and I'm sure you feel this too, Rachel, is that the thing about the public sector and government is the change seems much more meaningful because if it doesn't happen, the consequences of that for lots and lots of people, often quite vulnerable people, are profound. Um, you know, if a company doesn't change, maybe it goes bust, maybe some people lose their jobs, maybe profits are, are less, that's obviously not great. But if public sector organisations can't change, um, the effects are, are, are far more severe in some ways. And conversely, you get it right, and the effects are incredibly powerful and incredibly, incredibly motivating. Um, so I think that's where, where part of the drive from, comes from. But I, I think I'm lucky, as I say, the private sector experience gave me a healthy disrespect for both sides of the coin, and I think that's probably stood me in quite good stead. It's, uh, it's interesting, Andrew, because I, I didn't know that's where your background was from, but I, I too, um, kind of cut my teeth well, maybe they cut theirs actually, um, from a uh, management consultancy perspective. And I did uh, did some work with PwC, KPMG and with Accenture early on. And I, I knew then that I was never going to be able to fit the mould. Um, and they definitely knew that as well. Uh, so it wasn't just a, a, a one-sided bit. Um, it's uh, And I subscribe to the same view from a public sector perspective. The ability to really make a difference is probably what draws us in, um, mm. you know, so, somewhat reluctantly in, in some respects. But um, I, I think the value that you can create uh, and the difference that you can make to people's lives um, <clears throat> is, is profound from a public sector perspective. Um, and, and what about um, within business change? You know, how do you how do you make it sticky? Um, how do you create that lasting legacy um, and, and making sure that you have tackled the really hard stuff uh, and that you have fundamentally driven that change? Yeah, I think it's um, it's clearly a different kind of work that I do, which sort of the shorthand my description of it is kind of bureaucratic hacking so making sure the internal wiring of the organization is set up right to allow that kind of the, the delivery to stick and that's basically because you know i did a little bit of code in my 20s but i'm not a coder or a developer or a designer so the most useful thing that i can do is to kind of try and create a kind of protective bubble around the people that can actually do useful things like shipping products and services and make sure that the kind of the rules of the game within the organization are, are changed or adapted so that can kind of support that way of working rather than getting in the way of it. Um, I mean, my background in the civil service at least was, was a very kind of, I guess, traditional, young, painfully ambitious civil servant. You know, I spent some time in policy, I spent some time in strategy, you know, private office, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I was really lucky to move to the government digital service when I did to kind of meet a bunch of people who Oh, goodness me, they were talented and that meant that they weren't just good at writing papers, they were very good at building things. But um, all the kind of the successful business change I've seen has been very skillful at complementing those two skill sets. So there's the people who can deliver stuff, who can get stuff shipped, and the multidisciplinary teams and the skills that, that do that. But they're kind of complemented by people who I suppose are a bit more me-shaped, um, who can make sure who can i guess give them the instinct of this is the right time to break the rules this is the right time to change the rules and this is the right time to go with the rules. 
tools, because sometimes, depending on the scenario, you're going to need to do one of those three things. And in terms of embedding those kind of transformations, finding the levers in your organization to change the default behavior is, is part of the art to it. And truth be told, that means looking in some very boring places, right? That means looking at business case processes, <laughs> it means looking at governance, it means looking at procurement, all of the stuff um, that tends to not get the, you know, the executive attention or the glamour that, say, policy or strategy or the things that tend to drive the kind of the executive conversation. So they sort of get neglected. I mean, and IT was in this space as well for a long, long yeah. time. You know, yeah, yeah, basically it's the plumbing, right? And then just didn't get that kind of strategic or high level attention. So on the one hand, that's uh, that's a problem, and that needs to be elevated out of that place. But while the organisation is just kind of starting out, and you're sort of starting with a few teams delivering stuff, you can actually quite quietly make a lot of headway by tackling the things that nobody's really realised how powerful they are yet. Um, and you know, I think of things like um, you know, looking back at, at Gov.uk and the example of the UK government sort of starting with with fixing that single domain. It was kind of great in, in hindsight because it looked very non-threatening, right? It's just the website. It's not that interesting. Policy people couldn't have cared less. But it was a real lever for having a conversation about a single idea, a single kind of brand for government, a single domain, that kind of that thing that kind of cut across the usual institutional boundaries. So, yeah, finding the boring things and playing with them would be one way of helping to make it stick. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. The the stealth move from a um, Gov.uk perspective was a uh, was a particularly smart move. I, I also, you know, I, I found uh, government was the first place I'd ever heard IT described as hygiene factors. Um, oh. And when I first heard it, I thought, is someone talking about a sanitary bin? Um, you know, I had absolutely no comprehension of of um, of the fact that they were actually talking about the infrastructure and the applications um, that were running. Uh, in in my experience, it was Department for Education at that time. Um, and and you're right. You know that journey has been uh, in play for the last decade, if uh, if if not longer. Um, but you know, going after some of those bits are. A key to uh, making sure that you know the the lasting change really um, it really happens and and things are put in place in a you know in a, a proper and orderly fashion. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of one of the products of the the split between the civil service and the kind of the political class. Like it's sort of been kind of taken as red for a long time that you know the politicians sort of set the policy intent and kind of deal with the with the what if you like and maybe the some of the why and the civil service will deal with the how um, and I think that might be why some of the kind of the agencies of, of central government tend to be better at this or tend to move further over the last few years I'm thinking of places like the DVLA say uh, a couple of others because um, they they take greater ownership, I think, at a senior leadership level of the how of the implementation, as well as the kind of the intent. Um, whereas those central departments, DFE is not a bad example, but there are, there are plenty of others where that policy conversation and the turning the minister's will into, into some papers absorbs all the time, yeah. um, rather than figuring out how we're going to make that real. And I saw I saw a similar uh, saw a similar piece in health um, with you know creation of. Of PowerPoints for for me is not delivery, um, oh. and 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 yet there was a huge machinery uh, sitting behind the production of some of these things, 
um, which um, you know just kind of blows your blows your mind as a real delivery person. I like actually uh, shipping products and making sure it lands and people use it. Um, and what about some of the challenges, Andrew? Uh, some of the challenges that you've experienced um, on you know business change, whether it be people resistance or organisational you know immaturity. Can you share a little bit about those? Yeah, I mean. Uh... All of the above from what from what you've just said. I mean, one of the things that I think because now I do a lot of work internationally, um, mostly governments, but not entirely. Um, and I think there's like a general recognition that from, from most people in senior roles in, in governments all over the world that you know that digital is 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 kind of you know it's it's table stakes. It's something that that everyone has to kind of play up play a part. We can't ignore this anymore. And one of the things that's kind of I think a real blocker to to kind of that kind of business change isn't so much active resistance. Like there's there's still pockets of that, but um, that tends to maybe come from a more traditional IT world that sees their kind of rather like rather cozy and complacent kind of well-being challenged, and they don't like it. It's not, but there's less of that at the executive level. I think it's just a profound lack of confidence. Like people at the kind of the top of the leadership level have no kind of feel for 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 digital transformation. What what even what questions they should be asking to assure themselves that things are going in the right direction. And because it's so kind of operating at such different directions from the kind of even the traditional governance model as if there will be a monthly steering board and we'll read some papers and their skill set is about reading between the lines of those papers to try and figure out what's going wrong or going well, rather than say, can you just show me a prototype and alpha, please? And so, you know, a few minutes of use of testing, and then I can get a feel of where this is going. Like it's a different set of artifacts and questions and things like that. So one of the big, one of the biggest barriers I think at the moment to that kind of business change is, is executive confidence in terms of them feeling, and also them feeling that they can ask the stupid questions, right? I mean, people in those positions are quite exposed. Um, and they, they don't want to, they, they, they know they should be across this stuff, and they also know that they'll probably lose their jobs if they get it wrong, expensively get it wrong. So the default position now is for them almost not to do anything at all. They've got past giving away hundreds of millions of pounds to IT projects, they know that's a bad idea, but they haven't quite figured out what comes next. Um, so for me, at the moment, that's one of the things that's, that's, that's quite a strong theme blocking it at the moment. It's um it's interesting um hearing you talk about that, Andrew. We've we've found uh, similar with different, um, and we've we've found that um, sometimes with boardrooms across public and private, you almost need to take it all the way back to the individual, to a a digital diary, and get them to actually think through how do they engage with digital on a day to day basis. I did a. I did a video going back a few years now where, you know, I just shared how I used digital, you know, booking a bloody coffee at Starbucks, checking to make sure the tube was running, um, you know, how I interact with my stepkids on WhatsApp all day. Um, and, and people inherently say, I don't do digital, I don't use it. And I had this in a user research session maybe six months ago. And, and then, you know, the lady during the course of this session was posting stuff on Pinterest and, and talking to her kids on WhatsApp. And I kind of said, you do get it. You just haven't applied it in, in quite the same way. You haven't assimilated it in quite the way that we're all being asked to start using it in the workplace. 
Um, and once that penny drops, I think people are more comfortable. But I absolutely hear you with senior civil servants um, at an executive level. You know, there's a real feeling that they, they can't kind of fess up and be, be open about that, which is, um, which is a real shame. And, and from a personal standpoint, you know, what makes you want to drive business change rather than sitting tight with the status quo? Uh, I mean, as I say, I, I think it's partly kind of quite deep-seated. I mean, my, my parents, bless them, um, both public sector, as I say, both kind of, I suppose, deliberately or otherwise inculcated a quite strong, uh, you know, disrespect for, for public sector management and uh, a kind of recognition that things could be better. And also what would happen if they were, you know, the kind of the, the impact that that would have on the ground um, of clearing away some of that. So I guess part of it comes from that. But again kind of again coming back to a bit of history having having spent some time in management consultancy and then and then moved across to the public sector i remember being incredibly struck then by how person for person in government the quality of individuals and the degree to which they care and the outcomes that they're working towards are, are, are for my money like the best the best of any organization like they're incredible people in the civil service doing doing really good jobs Equally, I can't think of anywhere that is less than the sum of its parts than, than government is at times. So, you know, the capacity for the organisation to thwart itself from, from doing what it what it could and should be doing, I think is amazing. So that is sort of unpicking some of that and helping those people sort of really become as effective as they can be is, is quite a big thing for me. Um, I'm... Um, I'm not sure why like government has, has kind of got such a grip on me in terms of it really kind of exciting and interesting me. I mean, I kind of, I'd like to blame, um, you know, watching Yes Minister and things like that as probably having a bit of an influence. Um, but I guess, I, and again, sort of um, going back to GDS, but also what I did before that in government, which was working with the Department of Energy and Climate Change like seeing some of that work which was 10 years ago when i was there seeing some of that feed through in the sense of you know the, the amount of coal power that britain is using is, is lower than it's ever been in the last 150 years the sort of the degree of renewables coming up is, is kind of astonishing when you kind of look back over that period like the the the, the impacts that you can have on, on really quite you know not just national but global challenges is is, is part of it i think um but yeah i mean uh, it, I, I can't, as I say, I'd love to put a finger on what what makes it so hard to give up, really. Um, I think it's also the fact that, and this is part of what blocks business change in some ways. Like, I am definitely a, a government nerd. I love the kind of the, the intellectual challenge of it. I think the problems are incredibly complex and incredibly interesting, which on the one hand is like very exciting. Funnily enough, I think that's part of what makes it government quite bad at digital delivery because a lot of the answers aren't complicated, they're not hard in the sense of intellectually challenging, um, which I think if you come from that kind of policy and strategy background is quite unsatisfying. Like being told the thing that can make the biggest difference to your service is by writing it in words that people, you know, with a reading age of eight or nine can understand. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, well, that's boring. Like that sounds far too trivial. There must be a much cleverer thing we can do. Um, and uh, counteracting that kind of desire to overcomplicate and overintellectualize uh, is one of the challenges for government. And just one final thing on that. Um, it is interesting watching how 
the management consultancies that, that, that we've both been a part of are, are kind of reacting there, you know, changing their marketing strategies perhaps a little bit to react to that lack of executive confidence that we talked about. Um, and they're doing that not by saying, here are some simple things you can do to deliver stuff. They're doing that by showing them, here's some shiny tech. If you don't have shiny tech, you know, bits of blockchain, bits of AI, then you are falling behind. So you better get some of this stuff quick and it's okay because we've got it ready for you. <laughs> um, and like, it's a, it's a kind of a, a mirroring of the same sort of tactics that they've been, they've been using for a long, long time. But um, I think that's why increasing the capability and the confidence of, of the kind of senior management layer is so important. Otherwise, they're just going to make the same mistakes again. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And it's interesting watching that marketing shift um, in, in way of that ploy. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested, Andrew, in your views on um, how you think the wider political situation is affecting uh, government's ability to drive business change. Mm, um, well, it's certainly affecting its ability to do anything much, uh, keep running, let alone business change. I mean, uh, so this, this is not the time to do the full treatise on Brexit, but I probably should say that um, I wrote a book last year called Bluffocracy, which you may or may not have come across, which was essentially... I cer uh, certainly have, and was one of my key motivations for having you on here. <laughs> well, the, as you know, the kind of central thesis of that was, was how dangerous it is um, having a country overwhelmingly run, not just in the political sphere, but often in civil service and in the press as well by, by generalists people who are kind of blagging their way through things. Um, and I think that's kind of being played out now on an incredibly grand scale. So um, on the one hand, if it wasn't my country, I would find this utterly fascinating to watch um, because it is, it's fascinating, but also deeply depressing. In terms of its kind of uh, effect on business change, I mean, I think from my money, um, the momentum, particularly on the kind of the digital transformation side has inevitably ebbed quite significantly from where it was um, and that has I'm sure in large part got to do with the, the amount of bandwidth that, that Brexit and all its attendant kind of crises is throwing up. The ministers just don't have the time to think about this. I, I think it's a massive missed opportunity um, because the, the rhetoric and the, the storytelling around, around Brexit from the start has been um, that it's all going to be great. Um, you know, this is a huge opportunity for the country, um, you know, the Elysian fields are just over the hill, it's going to be fantastic. And to me, that just seems like a profound misreading of how you, we, we, we respond as British people. We're best in a crisis, right? So uh, we, don't, we tend not to believe optimistic stories. Um, and actually, I think the civil service and, and the public sector in particular tends to behave at its best and at its most effective, when it, it has a sense of crisis, like people start seeing over the departmental boundaries and, and actually working together in more agile, more multidisciplinary ways. Um, you know, whenever we've had kind of, you know, like the fuel crisis or the kind of various other sort of slightly more uh, short-term crises, it's amazing how government can work together in, in a way that we would probably recognize as, as sort of quite modern, quite digital. When the crisis is over, it's back to business as usual. Mm. So, there's some there's some irony around that. I mean, it's it kind of nice that we can turn it on now and again, but why we can't sustain it, I don't know. But so for me, like I, I think Brexit could have actually been um, 
a really exciting opportunity to do some quite profound business and service design change. Um, and you could have made quite a lot of political capital out of it. Like, I, I can't see how it would have not helped in negotiations for us to try 10 different, um, here's how we get things through the border and here's how we kind of run a new passports regime, pick a couple of ports to pilot on. Goodness knows, you, you, could, you, know, you could give everyone who goes through the new system a blue passport. It's something like that. You could kind of, you could um, get quite a lot of political capital, but more importantly, you could figure out, okay, this new version of the service isn't going to work. We've tested that. Maybe this will work. Maybe that will work. Um, whereas, unfortunately, what we've done is 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 not frame it in that way. So, try to kind of fix it using the same siloed structures, which aren't well suited to that kind of business change. And when when it's got hard and it's clear that we don't have the answers, we've gone to the sort of magical thinking, which is, oh, there'll be some sort of tech solution for the border. We'll worry about what that is later. Um, so, I think it. To sort of sum up, I think it could have been um, a really massive uh, and almost unique opportunity for, for big business change in the public sector, um, but it hasn't been. Um, and uh, that's that's as, really as much a political failing as a civil service one. Uh, yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that, and and you know I share your view. Um, it's it's like you know watching. Um, a live history lesson unfold and you're kind of thinking oh my god you know history just was not that exciting when i was at school and yet we're actually living it um you know i i was somebody who you wouldn't have got interested about politics if my life depended on it there's some irony around where i now work but um yeah i mean it is it is staggering and and can you share a little bit about some of the work that you're working on with public digital at the minute in the yeah. business change uh, business change arena sure so um we do uh, a lot of work particularly with other governments but but not exclusively and that tends to kind of fall into a couple of different buckets one of the things we we do a lot of is help them set up um sort of early digital teams um who are responsible for um, shipping um, shipping products and services. So we've helped the government of Peru set up a team that built their equipment, the government of UK. We helped Argentina set up a team that um, built a new digital driving license service in, in three months. Um, but our model is not that we are the team as consultants. We, we kind of help um, those countries uh, sift and find and recruit um, the talent, which is almost invariably there in the country somewhere. Every country in the world has. Um, has digital talent in it. We've just started doing some work in Madagascar, of all places, and and even there, there is some um, some really impressive people and, and a lot of momentum. So quite a lot of it is is that and sort of starting business change with a team um, and starting relatively small but with something tangible. The other kind of half of what we we do quite a lot of is um, reviewing reviewing things that have not gone well. So be that big technology projects or um, which have uh, widely recognised to have, have not delivered what they should have done, and helping those clients figure out why. Um, a lot of those those stories tend to be quite familiar ones. They're quite common. People are often making the same mistakes, um, and or we'll kind of take uh, deeper looks into some of the sort of the underlying stuff like legacy technology, the procurement processes, the recruitment processes. Those kind of where we started really the organisational conditions. Um, that are making true digital delivery hard for those places. So it tends to be a bunch of that. Um, we get to go to all sorts of weird and wonderful places. I think we've worked with uh, something in the region of 30 different governments around the world. Wow. 
which is kind of scary. Um, but on the one hand, I suppose I've learned government is government is government. There are things that are incredibly common across political systems that seem to be very different, places that are very different. Um, but they all have their kind of own unique contexts and foibles, and they all have people who are immensely talented and immensely committed to to kind of improving the quality of service their government provides. So it's yeah, it's a real privilege and, and it's a very humbling job, and there's a lot of great stuff going on out there. I uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with us, Andrew. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for giving us your insights. No pleasure. Thank you for having me.